In a world where busyness is worn like a badge of honor, it's almost impossible to imagine breaking free from the shackles of success. Working long hours, skipping meals, missing or being late to important life events, constantly playing catch up, exhausted to the bones. This has been normalized, especially in the medical and healthcare arena. Practice owners are fleeing to corporate practices or leaving medicine altogether in hopes of recapturing their time and energy. But you are here for a reason and you've been searching for answers. Welcome to Thriving Practice. I'm your host, Tracy Cherpesky. I'm an executive coaching consultant and time leadership expert. I'm mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. I am on a mission to help practice owners take back at least one day per week for the rest of their careers so they can focus on healing their patients and falling back in love with their practice. Together we learn, connect with like-minded practice owners and medical business experts, and expand your connection to an international community of peers. In each episode, we discuss the business of medicine and healthcare, how to avoid the pitfalls of success, and how to improve the bottom line, paving the way to exquisite fulfillment in your career and life. Join us each week to learn how you can grow your practice while focusing on what you love most. You'll want to take notes. So let's go. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Thriving Practice, the business podcast for medical and healthcare practices where we help provider owners grow their business, and take back their time. Coming at you today, a little horse, uh, recovering from the coronavirus. So I want to share with you that in today's episode, I'm speaking with the wise and very interesting Hannah Smolinski of Clara CFO Group, a virtual CFO agency providing small businesses with financial clarity and profit maximization strategies. Hannah shares her best tips on how to grow and scale into seven figures and beyond with strategic financial leadership and using money as a tool for growth. We also talked about preserving the owner's energy and decreasing the opportunity costs associated with owners doing all the things in their business. This part was music to my ears. I'm sure you can understand. You will not want to miss when we talk about zones of genius and what that means for business owners, particularly with respect to reducing fatigue and increasing the psychic benefits, that's an economic term, of removing and delegating what doesn't belong on the owner's plate. Hannah stressed multiple times the importance of getting crystal clear about what you really want to achieve in the next three to five years being incredibly intentional while implementing strategies and changes to achieve your goals. I love how she breaks down how she and her team ask not only what their client's goals are, but also what they're willing to do to achieve their goals. Her parting wisdom is, don't let finances and numbers intimidate you. It's really about doing third grade math, which is addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. So it doesn't have to be scary. Remember that your numbers tell a story so you can get a lot of valuable information by knowing your numbers. And when you're ready to work with a strategic finance specialist, make sure you find a partner you can trust and feel comfortable asking all the questions because there are no dumb questions in finance. 
I really enjoyed our conversation and could have talked about the importance of strategic finance with her for hours. I am sure you'll learn a lot from this episode, so you know what to do. Grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Hannah and her incredible wisdom. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. Me too. Well, before we dive in, I'd love to share with our listeners where you're located. Sure. Yeah, I'm in the U.S., um, close to Seattle, Washington, uh, but just north of that in a little town called Edmonds. And it's lovely up here. <laughs> My mom grew up in Edmonds. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> it's I wonderful. in Bothell, if you know oh, okay. Bothell. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Awesome. Oh my gosh, what a small world. Yeah. So beautiful. Lovely. Edmonds is gorgeous. Oh, I didn't know that. That's wonderful. Well, I am, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. I think what you do is really interesting. I think it's going to be very high value for our listeners to learn from you and to learn about what you do. So let's just go in that way. Tell us about your company and what you do. Sure. Yeah. So um, I I am a CPA, but I actually run a fractional CFO agency. So we provide CFO services for small businesses that are at a place where they need some strategic financial leadership, but they're not at a place where they need to have that full-time on staff or even half-time on staff or anything like that, where you know they might have a bookkeeper that they work with, maybe a CPA occasionally, but they find that there's a gap in when they are really trying to make important financial decisions. They kind of are at a place where maybe they don't know where to go and they are not getting the advice that they need from their existing accounting professionals that they have in their lives. So we find that um, this really happens with small businesses that are, as they're growing and scaling, maybe they're at a couple hundred thousand dollars in annual revenue, but as they scale into the millions, they start to feel that type of pressure and they start to look for strategic financial leadership. And that's what we provide to these small businesses. I love that this exists. I know that this exists, but I love hearing about it because as I see with my clients sometimes, like they they get excited about some of their ideas and they want to do something, but then they'll come to me and say, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And my recommendation is always to talk with someone who about financial strategy, right? So how do you implement strategic financial decisions? How do you get clear about what makes sense, what's doable timing-wise. So I would imagine that you provide all of these insights. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do with clients is really about trying to forecast and predict what's going to happen in the future from a financial perspective. So, you know, we might know, you know, how much income we can sort of expect based on what is happening in the business, based on trends that have been happening, based on the relationships we have. We might know, like, if we hire another employee, that employee might have a certain amount of capacity that we can, you know, bill a certain amount of clients in that capacity, you know. So we we try to look at the financials and break them down from, you know, what are we doing and how can we try to predict what's happening in the future and then factor in the variables, which is, you know, hey, what happens if we buy this piece of equipment? Or maybe we need to go and do a training that's very, very expensive and maybe we need to plan for that. How do we afford it? or maybe there's hiring decisions that need to be made or firing decisions that need to be made and looking at the financial impacts of that. So kind of all of that stuff, we we really try to put it all into like concrete numbers so that we can say, you know, at the end of the day, is this going to get you to where you want to be financially? Um, and the you know, finances is like a big part of 
any small business and the ownership of the small business because we want people to own a small business that is working for them and not them feeling like they're having to work for the business all the time and that the business is actually taking away from their personal life. Um, So we want the businesses to be profitable and we want them to be able to be another tool in the business owner's toolbox to help them achieve their goals, whether they be business goals or personal goals. You know, that's music to my ears. (laughs) So I think it's really important just to emphasize because for our listeners who are medical or dental or some kind of healthcare provider, we're not necessarily taught that we can be successful and have open time or we can be successful and not be busy all the time. But if we put that as a priority in the business, you know, I want to be able to grow and scale and serve more patients or, you know, however that looks, you can do that in a way that doesn't require burnout. I think that that's, you know, sort of this interesting concept, (laughs) but it's something that can definitely be planned for in a very strategic way. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Preserving the business owner's energy is a big part of what we even talk about. And a lot of times where what I see is as businesses are scaling, the owner, even if they're like a practitioner and they're actually doing a lot of the work and they're you know generating a lot of the revenue, they are also getting bombarded with all the business ownership pieces of it. So that's one of the things like we look at pretty quickly, like when we're starting to work with people is like, what are you doing right now that we can potentially hire out? And I know you talk about that too, but it's it's also like from a finance perspective, we call that opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're looking at is we're saying like, hey, you know, if you weren't spending 10 hours a week or 10 hours a month even doing this task, which I, you know, oftentimes see people trying to keep like bookkeeping on their plate, for example, <laughs> that's like a really low hanging fruit thing. But, you know, if you could hire that out for... you know, even $1,000 a month if your bookkeeping is more complicated, um, if you could hire that out, what would that give you back? And that, you know, could give you back more time to see, you know, patients or it could give you back a little bit of freedom even because maybe it's more worth it for you to have a full day where you're not doing bookkeeping (laughs) versus Mm -hmm. just paying somebody else to do it for you, you know, and that that's kind of where we get into finance piece of it, but it also aligns with, you know, where does the business owner, like what, what are the goals of the business owner at the end of the day? And, and that's what we're trying to do is give people the freedom to use their money as tools to ultimately get to where they want to be. I love that. I'm not sure that everybody has that mindset when they go into business, recognizing, you know, we hear sort of let your money work for you, blah, blah, blah. But we don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. So I love that you said, you know, you can use your money as a tool. So what would that look like? <laughs> so let's say, let's go back to the example of doing their own bookkeeping. Because mm-hmm. I like to think, like when I talk to my clients and I say, just for, you know, the purposes of having round numbers, let's say that your billable time is $200 an hour. Mm-hmm. And if you broke down how much you pay bookkeeping, let's say that's like 20 or 25 or something like that. Yeah. And you're leaving some money on the table there. Right. And the, and the opportunity cost is the difference between those two, right? Yeah. So 
there's a lot of, not to mention time and, and mental energy and all of that, doing something that's not in their zone of genius. Right. No real health <laughs> necessarily. So what would be some of the benefits of like taking some of those things off the table, like bookkeeping or any other example you can come up with? Yeah. I also think that this happens a lot of times in marketing. So we see it like in, in some of those administrative tasks, um, marketing. Uh, I'm sure there's probably a lot of other things that people are doing. We could probably rattle off a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of things right now. But I think staying in the zone of genius is really important it also helps just reduce fatigue because if you're in your zone of genius, you're doing things that are actually giving you energy typically. And so if you're in a place where that zone of genius, quote unquote, time is also making the most money and you're getting the most energy from it, you're going to be more satisfied with what you're doing. It's just that that's going to be just the natural outcome of that. So if you could, maybe you're spending five hours a week working on marketing if that's the case, maybe you could reduce that down to, you know, what is actually your unique add to the marketing? And maybe that's only 30 minutes, an hour of your time. But then maybe all the actual dissemination of that information, you know, getting it posted on social media, you know, doing all of that, maybe that's where you hire that piece out. So I'll take my own firm, for example, like, we're really active on YouTube and we have like an active newsletter and we do posts like on Instagram and Facebook, but like YouTube actually takes up a lot of time because that's where we put a lot of time and energy into. So I used to do everything, <laughs> you know, the thumbnail, the description writing, you know, everything that the email and then posting it on, you know, Facebook, posting it on LinkedIn, posting it all over. And um, I brought in a, you know, a marketing person at, I mean, I, you know, we're at a pretty low wage for it, but very good for her, low for me. Like I can charge way more than what I'm paying her. So, and that part was also very frustrating for me is like getting everything on all the, all the stuff and the creative part of actually creating a thumbnail is certainly not my strength. So getting all of that onto her plate, you know, she's super happy because she feels like she knows what she needs to do and it gets done. And it doesn't get pushed off of my plate because I don't want to do it, you know, because it's not where I have a lot of energy. So it makes tons of sense to bring on time. And, and that's a part-time position too. That's not like I need to go and hire a full-time marketing person either. So there's a lot of labor force out there that's really willing to work at a, you know, part-time basis that can come in and just take a load off of your plate. And I have never really seen that not go well for business owners unless they're just completely not managing an employee whatsoever and giving no direction. So I typically see that like that's going to be a good a good move in the long run. Yeah. And I think about too, like in economics, it's called like psychic benefits, like the things that we get back. And I think about how valuable our time and energy are, energy especially. And it's something, you know, we can't always lead with it because it's not very marketable. But, you know, what happens when we get to spend more time or more concentrated time doing the things that we love, that we're best at, that also make more money? It's easier to monetize things that we love doing and that are in our zone of genius. So that is sometimes hard to draw a direct line to the finances, but it always comes back and improves the bottom line. I have never, ever worked with a client 
who lost money by saving time. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. Even outsourcing and, you know, increasing their, their expenditure in some way. They were able to offset that in many different ways. Yeah. I think sometimes like it, if it's intentional and you know exactly what you want to invest in, that's the important part. Sometimes I see people throwing spaghetti at the wall and just thinking like, hey, well, maybe I'll pay like a consultant to do this for me and that for me and that for me. But they're never coming back and actually looking at the return on investment of that expense. So, you know, if you hired somebody to do PR for you, for example, it, you know, is that actually moving the needle forward in your practice? You know, do you, did that produce what you were hoping it to produce? So sometimes people offload and they, you know, say, hey, I'm just going to hire this consultant to kind of take care of my marketing, which is, you know, a good step, do that, but also make sure that you're testing it, like, and, and actually going, you know, three months down the road, what is that doing for me? And that's the financial piece that's like, you know, what impact did that expense make? And if you can figure out, you know, was that worthwhile? You can also decide, I want to double down into it. Maybe it's a place where we actually you know, throw more money into SEO or we, you know, do more blog posts because those blog posts are really getting like a lot of traction for us. You know, always you need to go back and measure to anything that you make a decision on. And I think investing in labor is super important, but then also monitoring in on the other side. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the difference between bringing someone in to achieve a particular outcome or trying to make the outcome their responsibility, <laughs> you know, and I think that there's a difference between the two because I think at the beginning, middle and end of the day, as the founder and the owner of business, all of the outcomes really are reliant upon the ecosystem working, but they really have to come back to the founder, to the owner. Yes, people need to get things done, but if we outsource outcomes, especially if we don't know how to give direction, which I, I find happens sometimes with my clients. They're like, I just want to show up and do my work. Like, me too. <laughs> Here's the thing. Anybody who works for you needs to understand, you know, very, very clearly your mission, your vision, your the objectives you're trying to achieve and the outcomes that you want. And then they need to know the expectations around how to achieve that, even if they're the ones with the expertise in that particular area. So... I think, you know, just randomly hiring somebody and handing it all over and washing your hands, it is a terrible idea. <laughs> it won't get you very far, I think, is what will, and then you'll be really upset with whoever you've hired. I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing that I see um, is, I, I see this a lot in the businesses that I work with that are operating pretty virtually. So maybe this wouldn't apply super directly to a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast, but, you know, maybe if you own a practice and you might outsource maybe a virtual assistant or something, thinking, I'm overloaded. I need some time. Everybody's talking about virtual assistant. Let me get one of those. So maybe that will help. What they, I've had people just think, well, that virtual assistant should figure out how to help me. And that's not what virtual assistants do. Virtual assistants, you give them tasks and they can go and do them. And I would say, make sure you like, you need to know what tasks you want to hand off to a virtual assistant. Otherwise, you know, they don't know you well enough to know how to help you. And, you know, they might be able to say, hey, I've done this for past clients. I've organized your email. I've responded, you know, created autoresponder, you know, whatever. They might have some tasks that they know how to do. But if you're not driving 
understanding like what tasks need to be done, then it's going to be an unhappy relationship with that person that you hire. And then it's going to feel like a waste of money. And then you'll be back to being frustrated. (laughs) And it often, you know, not pointing fingers necessarily, but, you know, it does come back on the owner. So, I mean, you can have, you can have a bad hire, right? That'll happen. Right. It will happen. Let's just say that. (laughs) Bad hires happen. Yes. And you know, and that's going to happen where somebody maybe isn't very good at what they do. But it, again, it goes back to communicating. And I think, you know, you said something earlier that I want to piggyback on a little bit and being intentional. Crystal clarity is something that I aim for with my clients. And we spend a lot of time when we first start working together, talking about what they really want and why it's important to them and what it looks like and what does success look like. And not just numbers, numbers are very important. But also like, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you get up in the morning most days and you're getting ready to go to work? How do you feel at the end of the day most days? Do you eat lunch? <laughs> That's the question for, okay. Do you have a lunch break? Um, yes. You know, but that intent, that being super intentional and really clear helps with hiring, really helps with hiring. I mean, I've, I've learned that in my own experience. Just I've had, you know, mediocre outcomes when I've not been clear. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I read that book, Vivid Vision. Did you mm. read that? Cameron Harold. Cameron Harold. Um, it, it describes like the idea of like walking into your life three years from now. What do you, you, and walking into your business, like what do you see? Both from like a qualitative, but most mostly from a, a qualitative perspective, like where you're like, how do you feel walking through your business? What do you see? Who are you talking to? What is the newspaper saying about you? What are your peers saying about you? Kind of like this whole thing of like, kind of embody where you will be in three years. Um, and I found that to be a really helpful practice of just like, and, and it helped me realize like, I didn't want to be a solo practitioner. Like I wanted to have people who worked with me. I wanted to team with people around me. I wanted to like be surrounded by really smart people that like I knew were going to be serving clients at a really high level, you know, like that, that's, that was part of my vivid vision. And so like knowing that that was the direction that I went, I wanted to go, I could build the business off of knowing like I need to price myself so that I know that, you know, we can support growth. I know that like, I need to be thinking like, this is not always just going to be me. So I need to think about practices and policies and um, you know, make decisions so that I can have employees and be able to train them, you know? So it knowing where you're going is so important for the steps that you're taking at this point in time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you you hit on something really important. It's like you're still, you're in this moment, you're taking care of everything, but with, a, with an eye to the future. So one of the things that I think becomes really challenging for practice owners is when it's time to scale. There's growth and then there's scale. And there's usually, it's usually somewhere between like 750 and one and a half million in revenues where the business demands an up-leveling mm-hmm. and it becomes its own entity. It's no longer an extension of you. It's now, and this is a good thing. It's now, I don't know what the comparison would be, a teenager with a driver's license, capable of a lot, still needing direction. And I think to be really clear about how far you want to go, 
right? Even even down to, do I want to be a solo provider, mm-hmm. a practitioner? Do I want to be the only person in this practice? I helped one of my clients do that a few years ago. And it was really interesting to see how important that partnership was going to be if they were going to add other providers. And ultimately, it came down to figuring out what that business would look like in three to five years with other providers. And who's, is, is there still just one person in charge or is it a partnership where they're co-owning or like, what does that look like? And I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle for scale. Because if we don't take care of our problems, we scale them. <laughs> yes. And we do not want to amplify our problems. <laughs> yes. Um, then you get into more money, more problems, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I think there's a song about that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. I think that that's, that's really important. And, um, and, and aligning really practically, like, what are your goals? with like, what are you willing to do to achieve those goals? So like, if you're, you say, I mean, people can come to me and I always ask them when they first start working with us, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Like, where do you want the business to be? And if somebody is making, you know, $750,000 and they want to sell their business for $10 million in five years, you know, a $10 million valuation requires certain steps that you have to be willing to do. So if they also say that they want to stay a sole practitioner, I'm going to be somewhat skeptical of this. Like, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll do whatever we can, but it's also like there's certain realities of if you want to sell your practice, you need to create inherent value and um, potentially staying like a solo practitioner may not create that value by itself. So you need to align where you want to be with what is reality on the financial side as well. That is sage advice. I mean, it's just, if it's, if it's 100% reliant upon you or 80%, it's only going to be able to go so far. Right. You know, you can only scale so much. And when you sell a business, it's not based on its potential. Mm-hmm. It's based on what it's actually done mm-hmm. and maybe a little bit of potential. So I think that that's, that's really sage advice. Um, I think I have two more questions. <laughs> the first is, I think this is really interesting information. And I think that our listeners might want to dive in and learn a little bit more. So where should they go to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. So um, you can go to my website, which is clarascfo.com. And we have some resources on there. Um, You can check out CFO services if that's interesting, or we have um, blog posts. We also have a lot of financial resources that are um, things like spreadsheets and tools that can help or workshops there as well. Um, and then we also have our YouTube channel, which is, um, I think, just about 40,000 subscribers at this point. We are doing a lot of videos that are kind of just educating on things that small business owners need to understand about their finances. We talk about profit a lot on there. We talk about just complexities of even like offering and health benefits to employees. Like maybe you've never done that before. What are some good steps that you could be taking um, to learn about that process before you dive into it? What are your options? And then planning for hiring costs and things like that. A lot of that is on the YouTube channel. So there's a lot of free educational resources there. Well, we'll make sure that there are clickable links in the show notes so that everybody can go and check that out. Well, my final question for you is, what would be a piece of parting wisdom that you want every business owner to know? I think the biggest thing is to not let 
finances and accounting and your numbers intimidate you in any way. I know sometimes people shy away from it because it feels like a foreign language almost, or maybe it feels uncomfortable or maybe their own like money mindset. Maybe it's just brings up too much worry or concern. But I try to always tell people like accounting is third grade math. And anybody who owns a business can absolutely do third grade math. Uh, we're talking about addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division here. That's, a, that's about as, a, as complicated as it gets. And so like thinking that it's just, it's just numbers, um, and, but they tell a story. And that story is very, very important because it can point out maybe where you can make improvements, where you might be wasting energy and time. It can point out like where you might want to double down and invest in other things. I mean, it can it can point out so much to you. So like getting familiar with your numbers is like one of the best things you can do as a business owner. And I just would encourage anybody to take a step if they're not if they're not comfortable to take a step in that direction. If it's just, you know, doing a little bit of learning, you know, hiring somebody that will make you feel comfortable to explain it to you. A lot of CPAs um, have a bad reputation of talking down to people, which is a really, really sad reality. And I know that I've talked to people where they feel like it's not a safe place to ask questions. So find find a partner, find somebody that you really trust and that you can talk through things with and you can ask questions. And there are no stupid questions when it comes to finances. So just like get curious and learn your numbers. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like we could, you know, we could talk for a really long time. <laughs> Maybe another well, time. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to. I could talk about this stuff all day. So, you know, and um, I thank you for having me on. And I just, you know, I want everybody to be in a place where their numbers are, you know, it's something that's exciting to them because it opens up a lot of opportunity. For sure. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Thriving Practice. I appreciate you coming here week after week, dear listener, to listen and learn how to elevate your leadership, grow your practice, and to think and act like the high-impact CEO provider that you're meant to be. I have one request of you. If you've benefited from this show, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review with your thoughts on the show. Your feedback and review help us get in front of other amazing practice owners just like you. Thank you again for listening and until next time.